Hello everybody and welcome to Lady Killers, a podcast about female serial killers. I am your host, Abraham Archambeau. Let's go dig up some bodies. Hello everyone out there. I hope you're all doing well. I am recording this episode from the great Pacific Northwest where I reside. Uh, It's been about a week since my screenplay, Loon Lake, became available on Amazon. And looks like sales, uh, they're looking pretty good. Uh, So I do want to thank all of you who have uh, purchased either the e-download or the paperback. I really do appreciate it, and uh, I would love to hear some feedback from you. Uh, If you have any questions or comments, you can feel free to email me at 1129productions.com, and I will get back to you as quickly as I can. And I will also leave that email address in the liner notes for this episode. Now, I also received a little bit bigger news regarding Loon Lake. And that is that it was accepted into the Chandler International Film Festival down in Arizona. Uh, And this was a festival I was really wanting to get into to spread the word about Loon Lake. And I did just find out the good news. And, uh, you know, Loon Lake is starting to make some splashes out there. And uh, I'm getting pretty excited. I'm wanting to shoot it early next year, probably in the springtime if I can. If everything uh, goes smoothly and goes how I'm trying to plan it, then that's when it will happen. Um, you know, if you all enjoy a good horror movie, check out my screenplay, Loon Lake, which, as I mentioned, is available now on Amazon. Uh, If you want to get a a head start on reading that before you actually see the film sometime next year, uh, that would be pretty amazing. So, uh, I'll also leave a link to that in the liner notes for this episode if you all are interested. And this brings us to Lady Killers for this week. Uh, The particular lady killer I chose this week, uh, she hails from the great state of New York, and uh, she's just a horrible monster through and through. Uh, I get pretty disgusted whenever a child is murdered or something horrible ever happens to a child, and this particular lady killer disgusts me to the core. In this episode, we will be discussing children being murdered So, if you are squeamish in that area, uh, you've been warned. And our lady killer for this week is the evil Mary Beth Tinning. She was born Mary Beth Rowe in Duanesburg, New York on September 11th, 1942 to Ruth and Alton Lewis Rowe. Now, she was born on one of the worst dates in history, uh, in my opinion, Of course, September 11th, but it was long before that terrible New York tragedy in 2001. But that's just a little nugget for all you uh, numerology buffs out there. Uh, Something for you to chew on if that's what you guys are into. So the town that Mary Beth was born in, Dwaynesburg, it was a small farm town in uh, Schenectady County in eastern New York. And uh, not a lot was happening at the time that Mary Beth was born. 
And much like our previous lady killer, Lida Southard uh, from Idaho, you know, not much, not much is really known about Mary Beth's formative years. So it's a little bit hard to piece together why she did what she did. Obviously, there are a few red flags that I came across that interested me that probably did uh, have something to do with uh, her horrible rampage. You know, it was said that she did try to commit suicide multiple times when she was a child. And I think it's also because as she was growing up, you know, one of the relatives that she would stay with used to tell her that she was like an accident or a mistake. Nobody wanted her. Uh, That's definitely something that would stick in your mind growing up, thinking that you're worthless and that nobody wants you. Obviously, you're going to be trying to seek attention somehow. Um, So there are some red flags for Mary Beth here. Mental and physical abuse, uh, the suicide attempts. Um, And her parents were away pretty frequently. Her father was deployed overseas during World War II, and so that left her mother to be the breadwinner, and she worked all day to provide for, for her family. And since her parents were never around, this put Mary Beth under the care of many different people, uh, other relatives in her family. And as I mentioned, you know, one of these relatives apparently told Mary Beth that she was an accident, and her parents didn't even want her. Even Mary Beth's brother recalled being told by her that uh, she told him he was the only child that their parents even wanted. And uh, so maybe this mental abuse did contribute to her becoming a murderer. Can't know for sure, but it's it's a start. You know, many professionals think she did what she did to garner sympathy, which could be true, since in her mind she was an unwanted child. And so she needed sympathy. She wanted people to look at her and, you know, woe is me. You know, maybe she was just looking for that attention that she never had growing up. Her father, like I said, he was overseas for a lot of the time and her mother was always at work. So she didn't have the attention that uh, most children need as they're growing up. Uh, But I'll leave that up to debate for all you uh, wannabe psychologists or real psychologists out there. Uh, Maybe dig into that and, and see why she did what she did. Now, Mary Beth's father, Alton, he finally did return from the war, and he went to work for General Electric as a press operator at the local facility. And during this time, uh, Mary Beth claimed that she was abused by her father, and on frequent occasions, she was locked away in the closet. Generally, when there's abuse, they tend to pass that on, and uh, so that's something as well. And uh, so at school, Mary Beth... She was just seen as an average student, as her brother was, at Dwaynesburg High School. And she graduated normally, like everyone else, in 1961. After high school, she was employed at various low-paying jobs that didn't really require any skills. And she eventually decided she wanted to be a help to her community. And so she did become a nurse's assistant at Ellis Hospital in Schenectady, which is about 10 miles north of her hometown. In 1963, Mary Beth was set up on a blind date with a man by the name of Joseph Tinning. The two of them went out with some friends. They immediately hit it off. And it was said Joseph was a quiet man, but he was very positive and he was very, very happy, you know, living in life. Everything, 
just seemed to be good for him no matter what. He was happy-go-lucky, let everything roll off his shoulders, and he just kind of went with the flow, it seemed like. And they ended up getting married in 1965, and they welcomed their first child, Barbara, two years later in 1967. In 1970, they welcomed a son, who they named Joseph Jr., after his father, and life began to progress normally for the couple and their two small children. The following year, in 1971, their third child, Jennifer, was born. Jennifer ended up dying after eight days from meningitis, and uh, she had multiple brain abscesses. All of these were defects that she was born with, according to the doctors. So this is uh, not suspicious in any way, but a mere 17 days following the death of Jennifer, Mary Beth had to rush little Joseph Jr. to the hospital, where he died almost immediately from what they said was a heart attack. Now, if you ask me, this is the point in the story where things start to get a little fishy already. I mean, two child deaths nearly back-to-back within a month. This happening in that family, it seems a little odd. But also, Jennifer had the birth defects, so, you know, it's possible that a couple of the other children might have had birth defects as well. So nobody was piecing it together at that point. Nobody was suspecting anything. Like me, I'm a skeptic when it comes to stuff like this. I like to think that she was already planning something at that early stage of her life. So several weeks after the death of Joseph Jr., third child, baby Barbara, was rushed to the hospital after going into convulsions. So the very next day, the Tinning family, they were mourning the death of their firstborn child, Barbara. Previous to her passing away, she had been in a coma for a few hours. That was pretty much after arriving at the hospital, she slipped into that coma. You know, after leaving the house and rushing to the hospital, that was, that was basically it for little Barbara. She didn't survive much after that. The cause of death in Barbara's case uh, was Rye syndrome. And uh, so at this time, Mary Beth was only 29 years old. She had had three kids, all of them passed away in similar fashion. But I did a little research on Rye syndrome just to find out, you know, how the child died and, and what she would have gone through during the, you know, the death. But it turns out doctors don't really know what causes that disease. Uh, it was believed at the time that maybe aspirin or a viral infection uh, might might have been the cause, or maybe even both of those. Um, and at that time, parents would give their children aspirin if they'd had a fever from anything, you know, from just the normal flu, anything like that, they would give aspirin. Unfortunately, aspirin was quite possibly causing children to die. So the doctors, eventually they stopped recommending aspirin for children back in the 70s, and uh, regardless of that, it it does cause the brain to swell in the children. It almost always ends up in in the death of the child. And so that was what they said had caused the death of Barbara, the mother, Mary Beth. She never, at least I didn't find anything saying she was giving aspirin or if uh, Barbara had a fever or if she had any sort of virus at the time. So we don't know that. All we do know is that Three children were born to the Tinning family, and all three of them were now dead. On Thanksgiving Day in 1973, Mary Beth gave birth to her fourth child, Timothy. Not long after that, on December 10th, Timothy was brought into the hospital, 
dead. Mary Beth told the doctor she found him like that. He was lifeless and he was unresponsive in his crib. And so once they heard crib and they heard, you know, unresponsive, just laying there, they immediately said it was SIDS, which if you don't know what SIDS is, is sudden infant death syndrome. And at that time, SIDS was, it wasn't something doctors could really wrap their minds around. They just brushed it off as some sort of horrible accident that was just happening to a lot of infants at that time. They were just, in, you know, lying in their crib and they would pass away through the night. When you find the child, they look normal, like they're just sleeping. But, you know, unfortunately in Timothy's case, he was already dead in the crib. You know, they just brushed off this, like I said, as an accident, and they didn't investigate. They didn't really look further into it. But I, I was thinking, how many, I mean, that's four dead children already for Mary Beth and her husband Joseph. How many children is it going to take, you know, before people start snooping around into Mary Beth's life? And apparently in this case, the answer is many, many more. Now, the following event, which occurred in 1974, how this didn't get the authorities sniffing around Mary Beth, it really boggles my mind. Because at this point, like I said, there has been four births and four deaths for Mary Beth and Joseph. And then mysteriously in 1974, her husband Joseph was admitted to the hospital with barbiturate poisoning. And the levels were so high in his bloodstream, it nearly killed him. When confronted about this poisoning, Joseph told the authorities that you know, he and his wife, they had been fighting pretty frequently and their marriage was strained and on the rocks. And uh, so Mary Beth, she went out, she had a friend that had an epileptic daughter and she had asked her for some of the pills that her daughter used to control her epilepsy. And Mary Beth took those, went home and uh, she ground those pills up and she put them into Joseph's grape juice. And he drank that and uh, that's what sent him into the hospital. Basically, it sounds like it was an overdose. So he was in the hospital, and Joseph, he claimed it was a simple misunderstanding between a husband and a wife. You know, husbands and wives fight all the time, so he blamed it on that, and he did not press any charges. So there you have that. Mysteriously, four infants dying, and then her husband being rushed to the hospital, <laughs> overdosing uh, from something that was slipped into his grape juice. You know, I didn't know a lot about Joseph. I couldn't find much, but... He just seemed to go along with everything. Like I said earlier, he was a positive man. He was happy-go-lucky and just kind of let everything uh, roll off his shoulders. Even in this case, which it seemed like she was trying to kill him, just based on some of the fights they were having, she was trying to kill him. He didn't press charges, and they just went back to their normal life. Now, I always find that there's certain moments in life that if you could have just done something just slightly different, one little tiny thing, um, then things in life would just unfold completely different than they did. And there's a movie out there, it's called Run, Lola, Run, uh, where it's about just the simple seconds in life that if something slightly, if you would change something just a little bit differently, the outcome of your day would have changed, you know. Some of you... You know, I'm sure some of you out there have thought about that, that if only you could have woken up on time, got up when your alarm went off like you were supposed to, or maybe if you would have woken up even just two minutes earlier, 
you wouldn't have been in that horrible car accident or, you know, the bad event in that particular day in your life never would have happened. And that's what I think about in this case, that if Joseph would have just pressed charges, you know, maybe Mary Beth would have been convicted of attempted murder. And if that would have happened, uh, she wouldn't have continued to commit the acts that we're about to learn about. In March of 1975, Mary Beth gave birth to yet another child by the name of Nathan. Later in the fall of that same year, Nathan died in the car while on an outing with his mother, Mary Beth. Now, this one was also ruled an accident. So let's just pause for a second and look at the facts that we have here. We have a mother who, at this point now, she's given birth to five children, none of them surviving into the toddler years. Not only is that mysterious in itself, but, you know, like I said, she sent her husband to the hospital the previous year by poisoning him and trying to get him to overdose. It is so insane to me, you know, that nobody said anything. Nobody suspected a damn thing. They just brushed it all off, brushed it to the side, and they went about their lives. It's, it's just hard to imagine that happening today. I really don't think that would happen. In August of 1978, Mary Beth decided to mix things up a little bit, and they adopted a son this time. And his name was Michael, and they brought him home shortly after he was born. And just after a couple of months of that adoption, Mary Beth gave birth to her sixth child, Mary Frances. A short while later, in January, Mary Beth was already rushing to the emergency room with Mary Frances. And she claimed once she got there that her daughter was having seizures. The doctors fought hard, and they ended up saving Mary Frances' life. Now, that was a first, since every other child died, basically within a few months of being born. So I was wondering, what, what was Mary Beth thinking at this time? Because every other child died, they couldn't save them. But in Mary Frances' case, the doctors saved her. They were getting smarter and smarter, more adept in their jobs, so, you know, they were able to save more children that were coming into the emergency room. Um, so I was, I was just wondering what Mary Beth would have been thinking at that time. You know, maybe things could have been coming to an end for her and, and she couldn't uh, get away with it anymore. But uh, don't worry. She went right back to figuring out how to get rid of Mary Frances, who had survived. And you guessed it, a month later, Mary Beth rushing back to the hospital with Mary Frances. This time she was in full cardiac arrest. And I'll be damned, the doctor saved little Mary Frances yet again. She was a, a tough little trooper, that's for sure. But after they did save her, uh, after that cardiac arrest, she was left with irreversible brain damage, and she was put on life support. But it only took uh, two days for Mary Frances to finally uh, pass away, taken off of life support, and uh, couldn't couldn't breathe on her own, and so that young baby passed away as well. Later that same year in the fall, Mary Beth and Joseph welcomed their eighth child, Jonathan, into this world. And he only made it to March of the following year. He was also put on life support after a four-week stay at an Albany, New York hospital. And almost a year to the date, Joseph had to rush their adopted son, Michael, to the hospital because he found him and he wouldn't wake up. And uh, Joseph brought him into the emergency room, and he was immediately pronounced dead on arrival. Uh, the month previous, Michael was taken to the hospital already, 
because they said that he had fallen down the stairs. You know, Michael, he was adopted. He wasn't a blood relative. So Mary Beth couldn't blame genetics on the death of that child because a lot of people, they were thinking, oh, oh, boo-hoo, poor Mary Beth, you know. She just had horrible genetics, you know, and uh, she was just every child that she gave birth to had something, some sort of birth defect that, according to her anyway, caused them to go into cardiac arrest or, you know, found dead from SIDS the next morning. It's just once Michael was brought in, who was adopted, this changed things. I think it probably raised some red flags, and I think some people probably started digging into the family's business and seeing what was going on, but nothing came of it. And some time did pass without incident. And uh, I think Mary Beth got a little too close to the fire when Michael died. Uh, like I said, he was adopted. He was not blood relative. He wouldn't have the same genes as Mary Beth. I think it scared her. And so she laid low for a while. And then in August of 1985, Tammy Lynn was born. This would be the eighth time Mary Beth squeezed a little one out of herself. Um, and none of them had survived up to this point. Just just let that sink in for a second. Giving birth to eight different children, all of them dying. Adopting a ninth child and him dying as well. Um, that's, I mean, that's insane. So you're looking at a death toll of nine at this point. Um, maybe, I don't know. Maybe this would be the lucky one. Maybe Tammy Lynn would be the child that would finally survive. She would be the strong trooper that made it through. But come on, what kind of podcast do you think you're listening to? Tammy Lynn died on December 20th, about four months after being born. This time, though, the infant was pronounced dead due to being smothered. So this was not an accidental death. This one, uh, the doctors could prove that she was smothered. That very same day that Tammy Lynn passed away, the Tinning family, they were paid a visit by the Department of Social Services of Schenectady County. Betsy Mannix was the representative that visited with the couple, and Bob Imfeld from the Schenectady Police Department also paid a visit to the family in regards to the death of little Tammy Lynn. There was a wide range of causes of death passed around between people for little Tammy Lynn. Some said it was a natural death, like all the others. You know, some said it was just undetermined. They couldn't figure out how she died. Many others said it was SIDS, obviously, because that was always the go-to move. Blame it on SIDS. But after six autopsies, it was determined that uh, no abuse had occurred. No foul play, you know. But in the community out with everybody else, that was a totally different story. There were whispers and rumors spreading throughout the town. There was just no solid evidence to back up any of the claims. And, you know, we all know what everybody was thinking. I mean, this many children all dying within months of being born. It's a little fishy, if you ask me. And I'm sure everybody in the town was thinking the same thing. Um, like the, all the other child deaths in the Tinning family, Tammy Lynn's death was just brushed off and, and swept under the rug. So it was, you know, same as usual, it seemed like. But uh, the medical examiner, Robert L. Sullivan, he stepped forward and he claimed negligence to some extent. You know, he was trying to take 
the blame for some of the deaths of these children, and I think it is totally unfair that he would blame himself. Quote, there were so many of us in on it, I guess. If anyone is negligent, I suppose I am. I probably should have said there must be more to it than this. But we all think and don't do. End quote. I think the medical examiner knew something uh, about the deaths at some point. He grew suspicious probably during one of the autopsies, but he just kept his mouth shut. So he did blame himself a little bit afterwards, you know, after the fact. We all do that, I'm sure, sometimes, you know. You wish you would have done something different, like I mentioned before. Maybe if the medical examiner came forward, maybe things would have been a little bit different, could have saved a couple lives. The tendings were taken separately down to the Schenectady Police Department for questioning in regards to the death of their infant, Tammy Lynn. During Mary Beth's interrogation, she ended up signing a confession in the deaths, not only of Tammy Lynn, but she confessed to killing Nathan and Timothy as well. But at that time, she was only arrested for the death of Tammy Lynn. Tammy Lynn, in her case, the initial cause of death was SIDS. Uh, That's what the medical examiner put down on the certificate. But after further investigation, that was changed to smothering. And once that was changed to smothering, Mary Beth was charged with the murder of Tammy Lynn. Somehow she came up with a $100,000 bail, and she was going to be released until she was able to stand trial. Now, officials were suspicious of the other children that had died. Uh, They just couldn't prove anything at this point. For instance, the little girl Jennifer, she died while she was in the hospital, and so They couldn't claim anything at that point. All they could say is it was an accident. She died under the care of the hospital and the doctors and nurses there, so they couldn't rightfully charge Mary Beth with anything. The murder trial of Mary Beth Tinning began on June 22, 1987, in Schenectady County Court. Tammy Lynn's pediatrician testified for the prosecution at the trial and claimed that he had actually told Mary Beth at one point that uh, since all the other deaths that she had had with all of her her other children, she should have a a special alarm device installed that would monitor the breathing and heart rate of Tammy Lynn. But Mary Beth declined it, which that's suspicious. After seeing all of her children die, this new technology comes out where you can actually monitor the breathing and the heart rate of your children. Why would you not accept that? That would point to the fact that she wanted Tammy Lynn possibly to die. I don't know. I can't prove it. I was not there. But to decline something like that that would save your child's life, that's fishy. Other witnesses for the prosecution included Dr. Marie Valdez da Pena of Miami, Florida. She was the president of the SIDS Foundation. And there was also Dr. Thomas Oram the medical examiner who performed Tammy Lynn's autopsy. They both got together and they concluded that Tammy Lynn was smothered to death with some sort of soft object, probably a pillow, it seems like, or a blanket at this point. And, uh, you know, things did not look too good for Mary Beth after, after those two went on the stand to testify against her. The trial lasted about six weeks and included the testimony of her husband, Joseph, who claimed that she admitted to him that she had killed Tammy Lynn 
during one of their conversations after they had talked to the police. He claimed she said the words, quote, I killed Tammy, end quote. The 12-person jury deliberated over a three-day period, and they ended up convicting Mary Beth Tinning on one count of second-degree murder. She was acquitted for the count of deliberately causing Tammy Lynn's death, but she was convicted of murder by the depraved indifference to human life count, which is something I had never heard of. It basically means you don't give a shit about anybody and you, you decide to kill them. You don't care about that person's life. It means nothing to you. Um, you just shrug your shoulders at other humans. And that's exactly how Mary Beth saw her children, in my opinion. And the judge and jury felt the same way. After the verdict was read, the 44-year-old Mary Beth sat there and sobbed into her hands, listening to it. Her husband, Joseph, after the trial, he claimed his wife was innocent, even though she confessed to him. So after she was convicted, he decided to change his story and say, oh, no, she was so she was innocent. She didn't do anything. So the, the judge, Clifford Harrigan, he vacated the $100,000 bail that was set previously, and he ordered Mary Beth back to the Schenectady County Jail while she would await her sentencing trial. Mary Beth Tinning was sentenced to 20 years to life, which was five years shorter than the maximum penalty allowed for that uh, murder of little Tammy Lynn. She was sent to be imprisoned at the Bedford Hills Correctional Facility for Women outside the small town of Bedford, New York. It's about two hours away from her hometown of Dwaynesburg. Mary Beth appealed the decision on the grounds that she never really did confess, as the police said she did. She said she was under duress at the time and just ended up signing some sort of paper that they had uh, doctored up. Um, she said there's not enough evidence for a conviction. It was a, you know, a false, false confession that the police created. But her appeal was denied in 1988. And then her first parole hearing came in March of 2007. Apparently at the parole board hearing, Tinning said, quote, I have to be honest, and the only thing that I can tell you is that I know that my daughter is dead. I live with it every day. I have no recollection, and I can't believe that I harmed her. I can't say any more than that, end quote. She was denied parole. In late January of 2009, Mary Beth was given another parole board hearing. Tinning stated, quote, I was going through bad times, end quote, when she killed her daughter. Once again, the board denied her parole, stating that her remorse was superficial at best. And then in January of 2011, Mary Beth Tinning was eligible for parole yet again. And at this particular hearing... She was quoted as saying, quote, After the deaths of my other children, I just lost it. I became a damaged, worthless piece of person. And when my daughter was young, in my state of mind at that time, I just believed that she was going to die also. So I just did it. End quote. She had people from Georgetown University Law Center and people that she had worked with in the prison speak on her behalf at uh, that particular parole board hearing. And they all described her as the most loving, most generous, caring person that they have ever met. 
But she was denied parole yet again because she didn't show any remorse for her crime. And as February 18, 2013 rolled around, Mary Beth was due for another parole hearing. This time, after she was questioned about the murder of her infant child, she said, quote, It's just, I can't remember. I mean, I know I did it, but I can't tell you why. There is no reason. End quote. And then the parole board stated, quote, This was an innocent, vulnerable victim who was entrusted in your care as her mother, and you viciously violated that trust, causing a senseless loss of this young life. End quote. So they're basically calling her out, saying what a shitty mother she was, and that her only job is to take care of that little little child, and she she just didn't do it. And the parole board went on to say, quote, discretionary release would so deprecate the severity of the crime as to undermine respect for the law, as you place your own interest above those of society's youth, end quote. Her next opportunity for parole was in February of 2015, but she was denied yet again because the board found she just could not demonstrate any sort of remorse for the death of Tammy Lynn. She was denied again in January of 2017, and she was ordered to return 18 months later rather than the standard waiting of 24 months. Uh, and at that next hearing, uh, 18 months later, Mary Beth Tinning was granted parole on August 21st. She was 76 years old at the time of her release after spending over 31 years of her 20 years to life sentence. So she ended up getting more than the minimum, which is good. But Tinning's husband, Joseph, who supported her throughout the entire time behind bars, was right there waiting for her when she was released. As part of Mary Beth's release, she, she'll be under parole supervision for the remainder of her life. Uh, she currently resides in Schenectady County somewhere in upstate New York. Uh, she has a curfew. She must attend domestic violence counseling for the rest of her hopefully short life. She's out. She's out there now, free, after, uh, well, she was only charged with the murder of one child. But uh, that's the story of Mary Beth Tinning. You know, I really find this woman, if you can call her that, uh, a deplorable human being. If you can call her a human being as well. Um, you know, basically... She basically said during that uh, particular parole board hearing that she put her daughter out of her misery, even though she wasn't in any misery. Uh, she was preemptively killing her before the world could get a hold of her, I guess, in her eyes, in her crazy mind. Uh, just because we're all going to die someday doesn't give anyone the right to take someone's life, especially an infant who you brought into this world. Your job is to take care and raise that child to the best of your ability. And none of your kids even made it to five years of age. They didn't even make it to school age. If you couldn't handle it, why did you have so many kids? Not only did you birth eight, but you also adopted one. It's just crazy. I can't believe that she's out of prison after killing those little babies. Uh, I mean, I know she was only convicted of one, but I have my suspicions of what she did because she did confess to, to killing two of her other sons as well. 
they said there was no evidence, so she couldn't get punished for those. Um, she, she claims that SIDS took all of the other kids. It's hard to believe, because don't forget, she tried to poison her husband as well. So this isn't some innocent lady who, you know, needs sympathy and compassion. Joseph was brainwashed by her after that poisoning, and he just didn't press charges. I think he was fine with his life. He was fine going about the way he was living and didn't want to mess anything up. I just I don't think that Mary Beth Tinning should be allowed into our society anymore. Yeah, I mean, she did do her time, you know, and that is this country's justice system, and we all abide by it and, and how how we do things in this country. So she did pay her debt to society in some way. I just feel like she she should be locked for the remainder of her life. I am happy to know that she did spend over 30 years of her miserable life behind bars. And I know my opinions are harsh, but, uh, you know, I really do hope she suffered greatly while she was in prison. There it is, folks. This week's episode of Lady Killers has come to a close. I just want to mention, if you like what I'm doing here, uh, feel free to support the podcast and uh, help keep it going for another week. If not, feel free to download every week for free and enjoy. Share it with your friends. All of my links are going to be listed in the liner notes for this episode. Uh, My website, uh, where you can get Loon Lake on Amazon. And uh, if you do want to uh, help support the podcast, there will be a link for that as well. Uh, Again... I want to thank you for listening to Lady Killers. I am your host, Abraham Archambeau. I hope you have sweet dreams. Love, love, love.